This is a download from News Talk 106 to 108. To download other programmes or for more information, go to newstalk.ie. And good morning and welcome to Talking Point, broadcasting live this morning from the Radisson Blue Hotel at the Galway Arts Festival. Now, if you're looking at the world around us, Donald Trump, Brexit, ISIS and the sad news from another attack in Munich last night. What links them all? It's called othering, the process by which we identify those who just aren't like us and judge, hate or kill them? Are we all guilty of this primal instinct to hate those people up the road? And given the right circumstances, are we all capable of deciding that they just don't deserve to live? Them we burn. That's our talking point this morning. And joining us this morning, Patricia Casey is a professor of psychiatry in UCD and columnist with the Irish Independent. Porico Keja is a Taoiseach's nominee to the Senate and he's the founder of Air Aaron. Huey O'Donoghue is an artist whose exhibition 100 Years and Four Quarters is on in the Festival Gallery on Market Street until tomorrow. And the prize for the longest commute to the festival goes to David Berriby, author of Us and Them, The Science of Identity. So a big welcome, please, for your panel. And... For the hardy audience who joins us this morning on, uh, quite early enough, on a Saturday, on a damp weekend in Galway, I have a huge prize. Um, my father says I'm identifying as a Protestant because I was up at midnight on Monday night making blackcurrant jelly with the blackcurrants I forced my children to pick the previous day. So there are, there's a prize of three pots of blackcurrant jelly all the way from Enfield to County Meath. Your question for the audience this morning is, just name one of Donald Trump's wives. And if you can do that, uh, my assistant, Tom, who also also picked the black currants. Uh, we'll collect them during one of the ad breaks and we'll announce the winner at the end of the show. So that's your huge reward for joining us this morning. Um, but on to our topic now. David Berriby, I'm always warning people to avoid looking at life through a single prism. But over the past year, it's been very hard not to link all these geopolitical and terrorist events um, as being part of this spectrum, you know, of identity and identifying the people that we hate. In your book, Us and Them, are you arguing that there's just a primal instinct here in all of us, both to categorise people and then, if it comes to it, act in a very violent way towards them, even kill them? Um, yes and no. Um, I, I would say yes. The evidence is really good that, that people cannot help um, uh, categorizing people in, in, in terms of, of who's with me and who's not with me, who belongs with me uh, and who is, is uh, on the other side of that border. And I think there's also very good evidence that um, we prefer people on, on our side of the, of the border. Um, among among the, the, that evidence is, is, is uh, our studies where people have been told, um, you, you, you like, uh, you look at these paintings. Um, it turns out, after you've looked at the paintings, uh, you, you boys over here, this is for school boys, you like Clay, who they'd never heard of, by the way. And you, you people over here, you like Kandinsky. Um, so isn't that interesting? Now we're going to sort out who gets paid what for participating in the experiment. And there's a complicated procedure uh, for deciding who should be allocated what monies in their teams. It turns out that um, the boys who uh, uh, 
what what they do is they, the boys who pref who think that they like clay because actually they weren't the real paintings. So parentheses um, will give more money to the other clay kids, and the Kandinsky kids will give more money to the Kandinsky kids. Now they don't even know who these painters are, and they're not even the real paintings. There's not even real taste questions here. This also has been done with um, what we uh, in the states we have zip codes, our postal codes. If people share a few digits from the, from the code, they'll they'll have a slight preference for the their fellow. 215 people and, uh, and as opposed to the people who don't have the same digits. So um, it's very deep. Um, uh, but I think that um, preference for people who are like you is not the same thing as wanting to go out and slaughter people who are not like you. Um, and uh, that, I think, has to be kind of ginned up and, 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 uh, and encouraged. Um, will, will and in fact... Me, sorry, yeah, will you tell sure. me the story about the Rwandan nun? I yeah. thought that really summed up how um, how profound the differences that we can be and how we distinguish people. Right. Well, during the during the the genocide in Rwanda, there was a uh, um, uh, convent that was uh, attacked, and um, the there were nuns there who were both Hutu and Tutsi. It was the slaughtering the Tutsi, and unfortunately, in this genocide, and um, the uh, the uh, uh, Mother Superior in the convent um, pro effectively protected the uh, nuns who were Tutsis because they were allowed to um, keep their uh, veils that um, hid their uh, faces so that you could not tell um, who, who they were. And there was a, a Tutsi woman who asked for if she could please have a veil um, so that she would not be killed, and the Mother Superior uh, refused it. So um, when she was later tried for war crimes, her the mother of the woman who'd been killed said, "My daughter died for a piece of cloth," um, which was effectively true. The 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 cloth marked all of the sisters as um, nuns first, and uh, took them out of the sort of ethnic equation. Um, but by not allowing anyone who was not a proper nun to wear it, she'd condemned this woman to death. Um, but the, you know, that sort of symbolism works in the other direction, too. I mean, in my book, I also tell the story of a policeman who'd arrested a, a suspect in, in New York City um, and beaten him up um, quite severely. And then when they were, um, later on, they, they were both in the bathroom, and the policeman noticed on the suspect's chest a cross on a chain and said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I, I attacked you. I'm a Christian, too. So... Um, and I wanted to mention that because, you know, we all, it's so easy to talk about these things as if it's a, a terrible, terrible thing to have um, these concerns and to care about uh, where you're from and who, who you uh, uh, want to help and, and, and who you feel you, where you feel you belong. But in the first place, you can't help doing it. And in the second place, it's a source of immense uh, 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 positive uh, feeling and, and, and uh, a source of actually a virtue, if you want to call it that, in the sense of people measuring themselves against the standards of the things they wish to belong to, asking themselves, am I a good Christian, a good parent, a good citizen, um, uh, a good professional? So it, it's not all bad news that people care desperately to be a part of something. Okay, well, Patricia Casey, we'll back to the good news, but sticking, I suppose, as media types do with the bad news. I mean, you study the human mind and human nature. Do you think it is possible for any one of us, given the circumstances, if we were in the Middle East, you know, or Africa, or New Orleans, or Orlando, could we reach into ourselves and be that violent and, and kill somebody because they're not like us and we feel so threatened by them? 
I think in theory we could, and uh, there are the very famous Stanford experiments where um, psychology students were taken by the professor of psychology and divided into two groups. One were prisoners, the others were given the role of being um, prison wardens. And these were, you know, 20-something educated people at university doing the same course. And the uh, prison wardens, when they became the prison wardens and acted like the prison wardens, they became unbelievably cruel. And the experiment had to uh, finish prematurely because, because of the ethical issues that it raised. So I think in theory we could, as that experiment suggests, although a bit of me finds it very difficult to believe that apart from a situation where we were defending ourselves that, that, we, could, that we could act that callously. And, and I hope that that's because... In, in my work, I mainly see goodness and kindness in people and people in terrible, having, experiencing terrible suffering in their lives and yet being helped through it, not just by myself and the, the team, but by their family members, by their neighbours who help people in times of great difficulty. So I'm a believer in the goodness of humanity rather than in... And I think, unfortunately... Um, there is a lot of what seems to be evil about at the moment, and we're hearing about it even this morning. Um, but I, and, and certainly when you read Twitter, you wonder if there's anybody good in the world. But I think o overall, um, human beings care for each other, except in very extenuating circumstances. So I'm an optimist. Um, Porik Okeja, you've recently entered the world of politics, and it seems to me that so much of this depends on leadership. So you can have on one side the Barack Obamas with, there are no red states and blue states, it's the United States. And then we've got the Donald Trumps or perhaps those who were leading the Leave campaign for Brexit, you know, where I think a lot of us accept that was based on feeling, people feeling threatened by immigration. But which is more powerful? It seems to me that sometimes the negative politicians can more easily stir up a mob than the positive politicians. Yeah, absolutely, uh, Sarah. It's, it's, um, I think it's a lot easier to be on the extreme. It's much more difficult when you've got to actually go and make decisions, make real decisions, and that's why people on the extreme can actually challenge the status quo, as it were. Um, it's a lot more difficult being the status quo. Uh, first of all, though, it's great to see you in Galway as a Galway person. And uh, news talk coming to Galway. It's not your first time coming to Galway. We come every year. We absolutely love the festival. And when I say we, I'm talking not just about news talk, but my family. It's an amazing festival. It really is. Well, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's great to see you. Galway to and me is... And of course, is, this is the city of the tribes. It's the city of the tribes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that goes back a long, long way. And so, we've got the Spanish art. So do you that. think we're tribal? Do you think that's a really just primal thing in us? I think we are tribal. Uh, we were just talking to, to Seamus there earlier, and I was talking about teaching. And when I used to teach in the Jez Secondary School in Galway, I wanted to say, how can I become a better teacher? And actually, I'm getting to the point here very quickly. And I realized quickly my role was not to teach. My role was to facilitate learning. And I started saying, how can I help young people learn? rather than telling them to teach. It's a different mindset. That brought me through into business. And I said, how can we maximize our most important resources between our ears? Recently, I bought a book called The Chimp Paradox. Are you familiar with it? A man called Dr. Steve Peters. 
Dr. Peters was a high performance coach for the British Olympic team for the 2012 Olympics. They won more Olympic medals then than they did in the previous five Olympics. He simplifies it for a very simple person like me about the tribal part of it. He says, fundamentally, if you look on the brain, three fundamental parts. He calls one the chimp, hence the chimp paradox. Second part he calls the human. Third part he calls the computer. The chimp is our primal part. It's the first part that's developed. And the chimp is focused on fight, flight, or freeze. And in order to protect that in our primal mode, being part of a tribe is really important to us, to be belonging to some group that we can associate with. That gives us comfort. It gives us our little comfort zone. And once we have that, the chimp is satisfied and can move on. And I think that's true about all of us. And I think we can expand that more from the individual right into the groups. Um, Huey O'Donoghue, um, people often cite religion as one of the prime sources of violence in history, but I think those who've done the body count say nationalism has actually killed more. Now, in a profile piece in the Sunday Times by John O'Sullivan, who's a friend of mine, he about you, he referred to your bifurcated background and that you hold both UK and Irish passports, and he said that you set little store on nationality. Why do you think national identity isn't as important to you as it might be to other people? And are there lessons in how you approach it that might benefit the rest of us? Uh, well, my, my, my past, obviously, I, I was born in Manchester, but um, my cultural grounding was very firmly Irish. I mean, my, as my mother left Ireland in, in 1937, and she never really emotionally left Ireland, so she took me back every year. My father, though he was uh, um, born in Manchester himself, he grew up in Kerry in the 1920s and uh, played Irish music. And so we had a, had a very strong cultural grounding. And I would draw a distinction between culture and nationalism. And that distinction is that nationalism is usually a very negative force. I know a lot of people in Ireland uh, would describe themselves as nationalists and they view it often very, very much in an Irish context. But if you think about it, in an international context, and you think about perhaps Serbian nationalism or English nationalism or um, national socialism in Germany in the 1930s, and you think about what that really was, and it's usually it's usually about ownership, and it's usually negative. It's about drawing boundaries, and whereas a cultural grounding is about sharing, you know, if you go into an Italian restaurant and they make some wonderful food, they're, they're sharing their culture. And as an artist, that's, for me, is a very key distinction between culture and ownership. They're two different things. And what did you think of Brexit? Were you following that? I presume you were. <laughs> and, and what that was stirring up in people? Well, I wasn't voting for it, I, I can comfortably say. And uh, I did follow it. And I think it's, it's, it's a huge issue. And for me, most of the arguments around Brexit were very narrowly focused. And uh, my view is that, um, you know, the whole issue goes back to 100 years, really, to the, uh, the two great wars fought on primarily on the European mainland for Europe, and they were about freedom in Europe. Um, and uh, the uh, European project, as Angela Merkel pointed out in uh, the Treaty of Rome, really comes in the wake of these two absolutely unimaginable conflicts, and it's about the future of Europe. And so my view about Brexit really was that it's about the tectonic plates of European history, 
Um, it can't be about little little England or little Ireland or little anywhere. It's about the, 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 the future of our children. And um, I, think, I think the vote for Brexit was a huge step backwards. And David Barraby, I suppose that's where... You see, it's the process by which we decide how you choose your identity, maybe. Like, what are the criteria for people deciding how they define themselves so that for one person it's their religion, for other person it is their nationality, for other person it might be their sexual orientation, for some now it's their gender. How, what are the influences that make us decide this is the thing that's important to me and how I want to be identified? Right, well, I mean, that's, that's, that's actually something very important to point out, which is that, that um, while there, the, this, this, this tribal feeling that um, we, we've been talking about is very real, it has no particular content. There's nothing that says people are predisposed to be nationalists or religious fundamentalists or racists or um, uh, separatists of any sort. Um, and one of the reasons why people can sort of fixate on one particular identity is because we all have a lot of them. Um, and and um, I, I think this kind of pathological nationalism that, that he was describing is, is not a, a natural state to sort of take one identity of all the possible ones that you inhabit in the course of a day uh, and say this um, is supreme, this uh, uh, is, is above all others. That that is, um, I don't think that's that's a natural thing at all. I think to 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 try to lock people into only one one concern and one border, uh, that takes a lot of work on the part of various interests that want them to be like that. So give me an example. Well, um, uh, I think when you stir up great fear of immigrants so that people become very anxious about uh, the nation is changing, it's not my country anymore. Um, uh, you, you can make you can make them sound intensely nationalistic in that ownership sense, um, but I don't think that that is the, uh, the 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 way that they would go about their day if they were not being yelled at by whatever propaganda uh, and media is telling them that they're in danger. Or, um, or even, say if you. Yeah. Um, Say for women, yeah. you know, that suddenly gender became important because they were being denied certain things because right. they were women or right. you're being denied something because of the color of your skin. Yeah. You know, that is that how it suddenly becomes important because someone else has decided that well, is what's important? Well, yes, absolutely. I mean, the main, the main thing that uh, get the, decides the identities that matter to you is other people. Um, you, you, can, you can decide uh, that, 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 that race is of no importance in North America and then try to hail a cab. And if you're black, you're, you're going to have more of a problem than if you're white. You don't get to just check out of what other people believe. Um, but at the same time, uh, I don't think anyone who's lived more than a few years um, uh, is, senses that they're completely trapped in what they were given. Uh, I think we all have a sense that we're creating and choosing identities um, as we go along. And so, I mean, I think a lot of this subject is about that tension. Um, people, it's a kind of conversation we're all having with one another, even within these groups that we're talking about. Well, what does it mean to be female or what does it mean to be Irish and so on? And, and you have these conversations in which you argue with one another precisely because it's not a settled and stable thing. And Patricia, on that, of choosing identities, because I think up till now we assumed, well, 
you have an identity. You're born Irish, you're born a woman, you're born a Catholic. You know, obviously I'm listing off my own identities here. But people are now changing their identities. Yeah, before I come to that, can I say that, 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 that I agree with what David has said, that most healthy people won't identify on, on one single dimension of identity. They won't just say, I'm Irish, and that's the most important thing to me. Some may, but people who are psychologically rounded and healthy will identify on multiple dimensions, their Irishness, their gender, maybe their religion, maybe the colour of their skin, maybe they, what they work at, and, and or their politics, and a variety of, of, of issues. So for most people, identity is multifaceted. But some people do indeed... Uh, choose an identity that's that's strange and and I was talking to Sarah about this last night um, about exactly this time last year in the United States Rachel um, Dolezal identified as a black woman even though she was white and um, and, and that created a huge amount of controversy for about two or three weeks and then it disappeared so I mean it seems to me bizarre that some of the that we're choosing some identities that are quite manifestly not aligned with... Um, well, with, not authentic. They're not... Well, not, not authentic. They're not aligned with any reality that we see. If somebody has a white father and a white mother, they are white, and yet they say, I feel black. Um, and I, I find that very, very strange. We have a phenomenon now that's emerging in psychiatry where people, um, and, and they call it being transabled, and it's called body integrity identity disorder, where people identify as n not having um, all their limbs and wanting to have some of their limbs removed so as to feel whole. Uh, um, th th there have been a number of cases. There was a surgeon in Scotland who was um, amputating legs because people wanted to identify as a paralysed person. Well, how is he allowed to do and, that? Well, he... he eventually struck off I think um, and it stopped but 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 and, and if any I'm sure there are lots of readers among the audience and anybody who likes AK or JK Rowling she's now writing under the name Robert Galbraith and her recent book A Career of Evil Touches deals with ableism and transableism it's a really wonderful detective story and it's beautifully written as well so 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 there are these people choosing identities, people are increasingly choosing their sexual identity and it's now called gender identity. The question is, where do we draw the line? And, and when I was preparing for, for this programme, I was doing some background reading and, and somebody in a philosophy blog posed the question, could we identify as a different species? Mm -hmm. So if we, if we allow ourselves to identify as something that's biologically incongruous with who we are. How far do we go? How far will society allow us to go? And I think that's a fascinating question. At the moment, you're allowed to identify your gender, um, but, but is there, is there a, a creeping increase in the areas and the bizarreness of the areas in which we can identify? Huey, what do you think of that? The fact that you don't just have an identity, but you can choose your identity. So you could reinvent yourself as a different race, a different gender. Is that your prerogative? Well, I, don't, I think we form our identity largely from our, our, our memory and uh, our sense of, uh, of, of what we've, the baggage that we've acquired over, over our lifetime and uh, the things that we like and identify. And memory um, 
is, as we know, is never is never accurate. But but one of the things that memory describes how we feel about things. So um, I think that's 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 how we form our our, our sense of identity. And one of the problems I think arises in the modern age when we're in this kind of virtual situation where people are are, are often isolated from a wider society and they're engaging with uh, in in some ways this sort of almost like this virtual world and um and everything seems possible when it's when it's not the case and so it's you know you read these bizarre stories of of people living in um in isolation who identify with um particular sects or um you know this with this tragic murder of the MP in Yorkshire recently, prior to the Brexit vote, you know, and uh, we learn about the the man who's done this and, uh, you know, his, his sort of fantasy world and associating with um, extreme well, right go, Going back to that idea, though, of choosing an identity, do you mm. think it is someone's prerogative to say, well, yes, I do want to live now as a black person? Are we obliged to recognise that and... Um, you know, say yes, you can do that. We we will recognise you as a black person, and of course, bearing in mind that that extends through to everything, that extends through to gender identity and all these other things that perhaps we are accepting. Well, freedom is the is the issue, as far as I'm concerned, that that people have freedom, but as long as that freedom is, does not impinge on other people's freedom of action. So, um, if somebody wants to believe they're a black person when they're not, or whatever. That kind of personal freedom is something we're, we're moving towards. I think the more pressing issue that's facing our society at the moment, actually, is is that we're being attacked because we we don't because of this this idea of freedom that that has grown up in particularly in the 20th century, um, and uh, we're coming under attack from people who want to, to put new systems of law in place, and uh, you know that's that's a kind of live issue now. Okay, with some text. Sarah, this is nonsense, says Rose. I don't hate anyone, but it is a fact of modern life that Muslims are randomly killing Europeans. Am I supposed to feel guilty and wonder what I have done wrong to deserve it? Culture and nationalism seem to be okay for them, but not for me. That might bring us into the multiculturalism argument, which we can bring in after the break. And then another texter says, and Pork, I'm going to put this to you after our break too. Sarah, so many of us introduced ourselves by our career title, and this led to a lot of trouble during the recession you know I think especially with men are like that what they do is important to them and finally Andy and Tralee says just because I love my family doesn't mean I hate your family and just because I love my nation doesn't mean I hate your nation but if you threaten them I will try to stop you we have doors and locks in our houses and we only let people in when we know who they are borders should be the same our panel will be back after these Talking Point on News Talk 106 to 108. And welcome back to Talking Point Broadcasting from the Radisson Blue Hotel at the Galway Arts Festival. And we're talking about identity this morning on our panel. Patricia Casey, Professor and UCD and columnist with the Irish Independent, Porico Cage, Taoiseach's nominee to the Senate and founder of Fair Aaron, Huey O'Donoghue is the artist and his exhibition 100 Years and Four Quarters is on in the Festival Gallery here in Galway and David Berriby is author of Us and Them, The Science of Identity and you can join the debate, which is at Talking Point NT. Um, Porico Cage, uh, we got a text in there just before the break that a lot of people define themselves by their career and their job, especially men, I think. You know, you've been 
been a, when you call yourself a serial entrepreneur, is your work how you define it? Is that your identity? Um, like, let's say if you lost it tomorrow, how do you think you'd feel if you had no job? If I had no job, I'd get on with it because, uh, be honest with you, I've failed so many times <laughs> right. that I've, I've, I've learned to pick myself up again. And uh, I, I've just made a decision. When you fail, Porik, the last thing you should do is feel sorry for yourself because that's, that's a waste of a potentially precious moment to do something. So I, my, I challenge myself to see how quickly I can pull myself up again. As you know, I was, I was ill a couple of years ago. I had a heart attack, and the airline almost went burst, and other businesses almost went burst. So, uh, no. Actually, I thought no. the oddest thing about your heart attack was that you said when you realized it was coming on that you said you were ready to die. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, I don't know, it's a stranger or not, but... Uh, I knew I was dying. I knew I was. Uh, I wasn't going. I wasn't going to make it. And uh, I, quite honestly, and uh, I said, God, I don't know if you're a man or a woman, but uh, I'm going to give it my best shot. I'm going to try and stay here as long as I can. So I, 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 I didn't know, but I, I was prepared to move on. Yeah. And in that moment, what do you think you decided was the most important thing about your life? You know, was it where you were from, your family, your job? Yeah. You know, I asked who are you? Yeah, I asked myself two questions uh, before I said, yeah, I'm okay to move on. First question I asked myself was, will my wife and family be okay after I move on? And I said, yeah, they'll be fine. The second question I asked myself was, did I give life the best shot I could in a way of integrity, what integrity means to me? And that doesn't mean that I didn't fail. It doesn't mean I didn't do things wrong. I did. It doesn't mean I didn't do, or I did things I shouldn't do, because in hindsight, we all do that. Uh, but I said, yeah, I gave it my best shot. So there were the two questions for me. And when I had that settled, I said, okay, I've made peace with myself. In actual fact, I thought that the pain would stop, but it didn't. It actually, it, it was, uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, David Berryby, uh, we were began to talk there about identity and culture that Huey was talking about. And there's this big divide between how we, as I don't know if assimilate is the right word, it's probably the wrong one, other cultures into our society. And this argument about multiculturalism, yeah. where you respect other people's identity and culture. And you yeah. say you can have, you know, your own cultural yeah. way of life here, even though you're living in a different society. Yeah. But some people say that's the problem, yeah. that people weren't weren't asked enough to take on the identity of the new country and the new culture that they've moved to. Right. Do you see multiculturalism as some of the prob- or part of the problem? Um, well, I think it's, it, I just want to pick up on something that yeah, Bork just okay. said, because I, I thought it was really, really striking. I mean, when, when you're talking about picking yourself up, I'm sure we all on this panel have like thought, oh boy, that didn't work out and picked ourselves up. Um, but in a sense, that is that is that is what it means to change your identity in it it mean it 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 means you don't go down with the ship you don't say all right well well the the i am stuck in the way that i do things and the commitments that i made and and i'm going to um when that when this fails that's the end of me you find something else to do and i think you do that with identities as well and i think that this sort of fantasy world that Huey is talking about is people who won't do that who 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 are 
um, caught up in, in, in one identity, uh, often because it's just more exalting and exciting and thrilling to, to be, a, to be a, a jihadist working for God's kingdom uh, on earth than it is to be driving a truck and having a not special life and no particular prospects. Um, so I think this, this fantasy world um, is a problem. Um, and 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 it, it 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 speaks of an attachment to to uh, a kind of unreal uh, uh, identity that you will not let go even when reality tells you it need it's time to move time to move on. Um, so I mean I think it's very important that we have multiple identities and that we can move among them and change them. Um, and and so I think that brings us back to multiculturalism yeah. because I think what people are worried about with multiculturalism is. Well, I'm doing my bit. I've welcomed you, and you can open your shop down the street. Why aren't you doing your bit? Why aren't you talking to me? Um, and um, I mean, that's that's a that's a big problem, and that's the fundamental problem in a society with lots of identities that are that have commitments that are not compatible. Um, I mean, if you are deeply religious, uh, I hope you can get along with people who are not. But there is some way in which you you if you you, you kind of can't share a, a worldview with them. There's something you don't agree about that's very fundamental in life. Um, and, and, and so that's, that's the question for all of our societies, is how do we live with people who have profound identity commitments that are not ours? Well, what do you think of the French approach, where, say, they just ban the veil, ban the hijab in public? Yeah, I think that what that does, when, 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 when an identity... When people feel threatened, the identity that is threatened becomes more important to them. So when you say, we are going to go after something that's important to you and say, and, and, and we are, you're now the enemy of this part of you, you make that more important to a lot of people. And so I think that's a huge mistake. At the same time, I don't think you, you can just say, I mean, the, the them we burn thing is, is you know, I mean, tolerance is something a lot of people in sort of liberal um, societies imagine they have and other people don't have. But we all have limits to our tolerance. We're all, we, we, we all have things we simply don't think uh, we can live with. Um, and, and so uh, uh, that's, uh, that's the problem. Patricia, what do you think of that, uh, that issue of multiculturalism and, say, the French approach, where you just say, you know what, we're banning the hijab in public. If you want to be part of this society, these are the norms. We expect you to follow them. I think that's going uh, a step too far. Um, I, I certainly believe that multicultural is a problem, and I think it's going to become a problem in Ireland. For example, in the, the, I work in the Mater Hospital, the inner city of Dublin. Um, some of my patients don't speak any English and we have to get in interpreters to try and assess them and we can't offer the full range of treatments because we can't offer psychological treatments if they don't speak English because we don't have any therapists speaking some of their languages. So I think when people are living in a country and they don't even speak the language, they don't assimilate even in the most rudimentary way of communicating, that's a huge problem. I think banning things like the hijab that was just going too far, wearing a veil um, on the head doesn't affect anybody. Face isn't covered. They can certainly, um, in my profession, in medicine, they could, young, young women wearing, wearing a veil on their heads, and we have some working with us, and we've had some. They, they work to an extremely high standard. There isn't any question that they can't communicate. Obviously, if, if they had the full, the full, what's it called, where the face is covered, that wouldn't be acceptable. So I think the French government going to the extent of banning a symbol, which is what the veil is uh, for Muslim women, 
women is a step too far. And that issue on language and not learning English, you know, do you think there's an obligation on them to learn English? And do you do you know why they wouldn't learn English? I think there should be. I th- I, th- I think it's it's a question of where you draw the line, isn't it? And 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 to what uh, how far you will go in enforcing people to assimilate to your culture. I would have thought language would be a very rudimentary one. People should be able to speak the language. I think the reason people opt not to is because like Huey's mother, emotionally, they haven't left their own countries. They identify clearly with their own culture and they don't want to move outside it. And and even though they're living in a foreign country, they're able to move within that culture, obviously, by, by not learning the, the language of, of the, the other. I think we shouldn't tolerate, um, we certainly shouldn't be tolerating some of the practices that they have, like their the, um, halal slaughter, female genital mutilation. We shouldn't be tolerating those kinds of things quite clearly but 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 the veil I wouldn't be I wouldn't be fighting anybody because of that so Huey on that so when you move to a different country what obligation is there on you to respect the culture into which you've moved by for example just learning the language I I would agree with that I mean I would agree with what's been said really Um, I think the problem I mean I live some of the time in um, in London which is a possibly one of the most multicultural cities on the earth. I mean, you've got every nationality, every race, people go there. And it, it's actually a, a very positive place, but London is kind of a, it's almost a law unto itself, really. And I think what, what you see in other parts of the United Kingdom, in the north, in places like Yorkshire, um, these former industrial areas, you see what... Um, you know, David was saying about people who are being, um, you know, they're not able to, to, to have a multiplicity of identities because they've got, they've got kind of grinding poverty or they've got very limited job opportunities. And so, and so the, um, this, this kind of, um, if they feel they're being attacked or if their religion's being attacked, it, it polarizes people further. But I do believe there is an obligation if, it's almost not a, a courtesy, really. You know, uh, you know. Uh, that if you visit a country, you make some attempt to speak the language. You make some attempt to engage with the culture because it is. It's a positive thing. It's actually about sharing. You can't go to a into a into a foreign country, and kind of set up camp, um, determinedly speak your own dialect and language, not engage with the culture. And then you know, and then feel disaffected and try and impose your your laws upon that culture, and that's part of the problem we're in now. Uh, Porico Cage, I think you have a business in Chicago. Did I hear you mention before the? Yeah. Now, America, I suppose some would say, is the great example of huge immigration at the turn of the 19th and 20th centuries, and they had a thing: you must learn English, you must take the oath of allegiance. So fine, everybody did have their own cultural identity, but they signed up to being American. Now we leave out the race thing for a second in America, because obviously that's a huge problem. Do you think that's the kind of thing that we should have in Europe? That if you have immigrants coming, there should be some formal signing up to the principles of living in your new country? Yeah, I, I agree with uh, Patricia and Huey very, very much. Uh, as well as people coming into one's country and the people of that country respectful of the people who come in, I think it's really important, fundamentally important, the guests that come in are respectful of 
the house or the country within which they arrive. Mm. That's really, really important. But maybe a problem is that they come in and they don't feel they're being respected. I mean, do you think Irish people are racist? I mean, let's face it. You know, maybe not personally, maybe when they get to know somebody, they say, oh, he's fine. But when they see maybe a black person or an Arab, do they are their backs immediately up and they go, oh, one of them? Genuinely, I think the Irish people are probably one of the most least racist uh, uh, groups and cultures in the world, probably partly because of our history, uh, but also partly because we have we've emigrated to so many countries and that has a direct infusion on the people who stay at home. Uh, so actually, I think the opposite overall is the truth. You've got exceptions. Um, uh, when my colleagues were speaking earlier, I, I, it dawned on me, I made a note of the book, The Tipping Point. Oh, yes. And, yes. and what gets, I don't have the answer. Uh, maybe you guys are. What actually gets people to flip over onto an extremist type of a mode of action? Because I think that happens, I agree with you, Huey, in relation to Brexit. That was the biggest talk about soccer. That was the biggest own goal I think England ever scored against yeah. themselves. Yeah. It's crazy. But There's it, no sense to it. Uh, it's yeah. economics that's the, <laughs> that's the tipping point, as they say. You know, uh, I mean, if, when people are, are uh, thriving, and they are, um, you know, they don't feel threatened. And primarily, the threat that most people feel most urgently is financial threat. You know, if if people are able to sort of uh, live comfortably, they have a generosity of spirit. And I think it's when it's when they get threatened that they that they withdraw into themselves and they they seek scapegoats. You know, Britain has had a. You know, traditionally, Britain's relationship with Europe was always to sort of stand slightly back from it and manipulate to an extent, and that's there's nothing different about that now. But what we've seen is after this this sort of half-hearted engagement with Europe is now is 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 to withdraw because because of economics. And I know Porik wants to get back in on that. We're going to take a break, so hold your thought, Porik. Don't forget it. We'll be back after these. Okay, and David. Talking Point on News Talk 106 to 108. And welcome back to Talking Point live from the Radisson Blue Hotel at the Galway Arts Festival this morning. Um, in our studio here in the Raw Restaurant, Patricia Casey, Porrick Okeja, Huey O'Donoghue and David Barraby. Now, Porrick Okeja, you wanted to get in on a point there just before the break. I hope you remembered it. Oh, let me think. <laughs> <laughs> we were just talking about... Um, Irish people and are we racist or not and, and it, it just struck me that uh, two of the proudest well two of the proudest moments of my life as an Irish person was one being in Crow Park when England and Ireland played rugby and the Irish people stood up and respected uh, God save the Queen every bit as much as they respected or on the V and I said wow that's coming of age and the second one was the Queen's visit to Ireland now I grew up in Connemara speaking Irish English is my second language, and she spoke in Irish, and she spoke to a small minority of people like me in which Irish is my first language, and I said, wow, that's powerful. Yeah, and and, and it's not only me. Yeah. Was, I would say that's very much across the board in Ireland. Yeah, even things like when she got off the plane, she was wearing green, you know, and I, maybe that goes back to that point of respecting culture. David, wasn't that it? She was respecting our culture, so finally we had permission to respect her. Right, exactly, and, and I think that that's very important when you talk about, oh, why are these people who come here not speaking our language, why aren't they getting uh, uh, involved in our society? Um, 
you know, history matters. I mean, if they've come and there's no way for them to get into the society, if there's no uh, uh, openings, um, then they will support one another and not turn to the rest of us for support. Um, and, and I think, you know, you have to sort of keep in mind the context in which these communities are operating. You had a message from someone saying, well, Muslims are trying to kill us and we're not trying to kill them. We're killing Muslims every day. We're bombing all over the place. We, the Western Alliance, uh, my country in particular, loves to bomb all over. And, 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 you know, I mean, I'm not saying we should stop uh, fighting our enemies, but it's not as if we are um, uh, sitting about uh, uh, innocently uh, uh, not involved in this conflict. I mean, we, we are also a part of it. Yeah, so Patricia, that that's the key. It's up to us to respect their culture. So you can even take something like travelers, you know, that they're saying, well, we are a separate um, ethnic uh, race and we want to do things separately, but maybe that's become about because we never respected them as a people in the first place. That's certainly possible, and there has to be mutual respect, but that's easier said than done. And in particular, we've talked about Brexit on a few occasions, and what struck me about Brexit is that there was a lack of respect on both sides. And it wasn't just that the people who wanted to leave weren't respecting the views of the others, but the people who wanted to stay weren't respecting the views of the people who, who wanted to leave, uh, the people who view themselves as the little people. Um, and, and I think that's what we're seeing with the Trump phenomenon as well, um, that, that people who hold different views from what is the uh, sort of libertarian majority about remaining in the EU was not respected. And, and David Cameron was, I thought, terribly disrespectful of people who took a different view. So there was a mutual lack of respect. It wasn't just... Um, that uh, on the side of the, the Brexiters, but the Remainers were equally dis disrespectful. And, and I don't believe that there are 17 or 18 million racists in the UK. Um, Hugh, you're done. Who? I'll give you the last word on it. Um, are you optimistic or pessimistic about the world's ability to get past this? That as a human race, we can actually stop um, hating and killing each other simply because of religion or race or whatever it is. Well, I, I am an optimist, I have to say, uh, but I, I think we're, we're living in difficult times um, at the moment, and uh, the situation in the United Kingdom was, was very, very difficult to predict because it, uh, you know, for a moment there, there was a complete power vacuum, and uh, so I, I am an optimist, and I do believe in the, the basic generosity and goodness of people. Well, that's probably a good final word. Now, before I introduce my next guest, I'll announce the winner of the Sarah Carey Pots of Blackcurrant Jelly from Enfield. <laughs> <laughs> the question was to name one of Donald Trump's wives. Fiona Nidonica said Melania. Seamus Callan said uh, Ivana Trump. And Brian Brennan and also said Ivana. Now, uh, Teresa Prendergast also won one, but she's my neighbor from Enfield, and I can give her one when I get home. So I will do that. And my final guest is Johnny Duhan, the musician. And Johnny, I didn't know this, but they tell me you're the guy that wrote The Voyage. That's it, I did, and I uh, was happy to see it back at number six in the iTunes charts after 30 years. And um, where can we find out more about you? You have a website, I have a website and a book? johnnyduhan.com. And have you a book coming out, did they the tell book me? coming out next year, The Voyage, which is a part two of an autobiography. The first one was called There Is a Time, which was based on a song that Mary Black made very popular. Uh, and uh, I'd like to thank Ollie Jennings and a few of the great art peop arts people for a asking me to come down here. To 
today. Okay. To well, I might ask my audience to give a final round of applause for my guests, and then Johnny Duhan is going to play us out with The Voyage. I am a sailor, and you're my first mate. We signed on together, coupled our fate. Hauled up our anchor, determined not to fail. For the heart's treasures, together we set sail. With no maps to guide us, we steered our own course Weather the storms When the winds were gale force Sat out the doldrums With patience and hope Working together We learned how to cope Life is an ocean But love is a boat in troubled waters keeps us afloat when we started the voyage there was just me and you but now look around us we have our own crew and i see a, a boat out there in the bay behind me sailboat Together we're in this relationship Built with care to last the whole trip Our true destination's not marked on a chart oh, But we're navigating for the shores of the heart Life is an ocean, love is a boat In troubled waters, it keeps us afloat When we started the voyage, there was just me and you But now, look around us, we have our own crew just like to get a plug in for Mary McPartland, who's launching her album down in the crane on Monday, neighbor of mine. Good luck with the Mary, mountain to mountain. Life is an ocean, love is a boat. In troubled waters, it keeps us afloat. When we started the voyage, there was just me and you. Thanks for listening to this News Talk 106 to 108 podcast. To download other programs or for more information, go to newstalk.ie.